Good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron, and I'm currently working with the campus ministry at Radford and Virginia Tech. And it's always so special to be up here at Roanoke and see all of you guys. Um, before we get started, please bow your head and join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, it's such, so special to be up here in Roanoke with my family here, God. Just so grateful for uh, this opportunity to just preach your word, God. God, I'm so grateful for just all the willing hearts and people that clearly love you that are here today, Father. Father, I pray that we can just have open hearts and ears that are ready to, to listen to your word, Father. I pray that this time is both encouraging and convicting and also refreshing, Father. I pray for the, the potluck after this, after the service, that everyone can feel yeah, just loved and encouraged, and it can be an amazing time of fellowship. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So the title of today's sermon is Relationship in Every Season. I don't know if anyone can relate, but I loved high school. <laughs> I had an amazing time with my friends in high school. I had great teachers. I played sports and I was dating in high school. And in high school, I was dating this really sweet and amazing girl. And during the school year, I was extremely invested in my relationship with her. I would walk her to all her classes. I would sit with her during lunch. I would, uh, I would text her in between classes. I, we even had the same friend group in, that we hung out with. And I wanted to leave no doubt this person was my girlfriend and I wanted to make sure everyone knew. But then summer would come around and my relationship with her would look completely different. I felt less motivated to keep being intentional and invested in my relationship with her. I would almost never call. I would text to see what's up every once in a while. And occasionally we might hang out during the summer depending on how I felt. And I felt like, I felt like summer was a time to hang out with the boys go on vacation with my family, and just chill. I didn't want the responsibilities of having a girlfriend over the summer. The next school year would come back around, and I 100% expect it for us to pick right back up where we left off. That was almost never the case. The conversations would always be dry and awkward. It was weird holding hands with her. It was almost like we never dated in the first place. And that would eventually end up leading to us breaking up and I'd move on to someone else. And as a dumb teenager, I remember always wondering and being confused why the relationship didn't work out. I always thought that it was them and not me. <laughs> and now that I'm a little bit older and have matured a bit, the answers to why those relationships never worked out have become painfully clear and obvious for a couple of reasons. The first reason being, I completely neglected my relationship over the summer. That's a long time to neglect a relationship that was supposedly supposed to be important to me, which leads me to my second reason. The, re the relationship wasn't that important to me. I loved the idea of having a girlfriend, but I hated the idea of doing what it took to maintain my relationship with her. Lastly, my relationship was only important to me when eyes were on me and people were paying attention. 
I wanted to not only show others that I was dating, but I wanted to give off this perception that I was a good boyfriend. And as I've gotten older, those problems haven't completely disappeared. They've actually carried over to some of my current relationships with people, and more importantly, into my discipleship and the most important relationship in my life with God. If you have a Bible, please open it up to Luke 13, starting in verse 22. And once you guys are there, give me an amen. Well, that was fast. <laughs> Luke 13, starting in verse 22. It says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching, as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who, who are last who will be first, and who are first who will be last. And if you're anything like me, whenever I read this passage, I become immediately uncomfortable and sometimes scared. In Luke 13, we see a man comes to Jesus with a question, a question that many of us have probably asked ourselves or should ask ourselves. Will only a few be saved? Jesus then goes on to answer this question in Luke by confirming this man's worst fears. He tells the man that only a few will enter into the kingdom of God. In Luke, he says, many will enter through the narrow door and many will knock, they will knock on the door, but the owner will let only a few inside and to the rest he will say, I don't know you or I never knew you and the door will be closed on them. And I remember as a baby disciple, crying my eyes out overhearing two brothers talk about this passage. I couldn't believe Jesus would say such a harsh thing. I couldn't believe only a few would make it into the kingdom of God. And I felt so much sorrow and cried for those who, wouldn't, who would never get to enter through the narrow door. But I also cried and mourned for myself. I wasn't sure if I'd be one of the few to enter or if I'd be one of the many to not enter through. I asked myself over and over again, how I could become one of the few to enter through the narrow door. And Jesus answers this question in a passage. For those who are turned away, the one who opens the door says, I never knew you. This implies that the owner, does not, the owner of the house does not have a relationship with the person knocking on the door. Thus that being the reason why he or she is turned away. And the whole idea of letting those who have a relationship into your house makes perfect sense. If a stranger came knocking on your door in the middle of the night, how many of us would let that person in? I imagine not many of us, if we're being honest. But if a family member or a loved one came knocking on our doors in the middle of the night, how willing would we be 
to let them come through. Hopefully most of us. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. To enter into the kingdom of God, a relationship is needed with God. So what does that look like? My first point of today's sermon is relationships require consistency. Just like my relationship with my high school girlfriend, my relationship with God requires consistency. My mistake was believing that, that the relationship could survive months without me being intentional and spending time and communicating with her. I believe just because I invested a couple of months in my relationships, that gave me the right to take a couple of months off and everything would be perfectly fine and normal. And for me, this same way of thinking has carried over into my relationship with God. Many of you know, I work closely with the campus ministry at Raffer and Virginia Tech. And during the school year, my job is to go on campus and share my faith, to preach, to study the Bible, and to help students with their relationships with God and push them to become more like Jesus. And for, and for me, during the school year, just like in high school, it's easy for me to invest my time and energy in my relationship with God during the school year. It's easy for me to prioritize my times with him during the school year. It's easier to walk with him around campus. It's easier to talk to him daily, and it's easier to hang out with him because we also have the same friend groups. Then the summer comes along and things begin to slow down. I begin to prioritize traveling, spending time with the boys, and resting, all at the expense of my times with God becoming less frequent. I begin to spend less time talking to him and less time hanging with him. I begin to see that my relationship with God isn't as deep as it used to be, and at some points even non-existent. And just like that stupid high school boy, I begin to ask the same questions, why? And sometimes I even begin to blame God when it was me who wasn't consistent with God. It was me who decided to neglect my relationship with God over the summer for months at a time. For a relationship to stay strong, it requires consistency. Can I get a show of hands of people in the room that are married? That's, that's a lot of you. <laughs> for those of you who raised your hand, just think about how different your marriages would look if you decided to take a summer off spending time with your spouse and communicating. I'd assume for most of you that would not go over well. And for those of you who aren't married, think about some of your closest relationships. What if you decided to take months off from spending time with them and communicating with them? I think most of us can agree for us to maintain a healthy, thriving relationship with our loved ones Consistency is needed. What is your consistency like with God over the summer? Do you find yourself kind of going on a vacation from him too? What if we were consistent in our relationship with God in the same ways we're, we're consistent with our relationship with our spouses and friends? And how different would our church here look if we all were consistent with our times with God this summer. Which brings me to my second point. Relationships require work. I think most of us here can agree that we want to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. I know I definitely do. 
But if you're anything like me, sometimes I fall more in love with the idea of a great relationship with God and hate the work it takes to have a great relationship with God. I think about my dad back home in Virginia Beach. Like most people, I would love to have an amazing relationship with my dad. I would love for him to be a big part of my life. I love the idea of us being able to talk about anything, and I love the idea of us making amazing father and son memories. The current reality is that's not our relationship. I recently talked, I recently talked to him and asked if he felt close to me in our relationship, and he gave me a hon an honest but hard answer. He said, not really, but I still love you. And that was an eye-opening moment for me. For so long, I've been in love with the idea of having a close relationship with my dad but I never put the work in to make a close relationship with him happen. It took me realizing and becoming aware of the state of my relationship with him to realize that, to realize that it's gonna take more than just loving the idea of having a relationship with him, but it was gonna take work. The same idea applies to our relationship with God. It's not enough to just love the idea of being close to God, but it requires intentionality and work to actually have a close relationship with God. But with God, just like with my dad, even though he doesn't necessarily feel close to me in this season of life, doesn't change the scope of his love for me. In church, for those of you who don't feel God, close to God in this season, it's not too late to have a deep relationship with God. It requires intentionality and work. And some of you might be wondering what intentionality and work might look like with having a relationship with God. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. It reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. And here we see Jesus encourage us to do three things in regards to God the Father, asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus understood that these three ideas of asking, seeking, and knocking are critical to forming and developing a fruitful relationship with God. Asking is defined as to say something in order to obtain an answer or some information, or to request of someone to do or give something. Jesus here encourages us to ask questions of God the Father and ask for things from him. Jesus realized asking is an important step to building intimacy in a relationship with God. Think about your relationships with your spouses, your children, your friends, and your family. Asking is a pillar in those relationships. Asking helps us know and understand more about that person and where they are coming from. When we want to build a relationship with someone we never met before, how do we go about doing that? We have to ask questions. When you're out on a date and you want to know if that person shares similar hobbies from you, we have to ask questions. When someone has wronged you and you want to know why, you find out by asking questions. Asking also builds trust. It allows us to determine whether or not 
someone is trustworthy or reliable when you ask them to do something for you. If Benjamin asked me to prepare for midweek, the midweek lesson next week, and I showed up completely unprepared, what do you think he would think of me? Do you think he would see me as someone that's reliable and trustworthy? <laughs> Definitely not. And he wouldn't ask me to do it again. <laughs> Asking allows us to gauge the reliability and trustworthiness of someone we're trying to build a relationship with. And Jesus understood this perfectly. Jesus understood the difference between asking God and asking people. Jesus tells us when we ask God, it will be given to you. All we have to do is ask. Jesus then encourages us to seek. To seek can be defined as an attempt to find something or someone. The word seek in the original language means to search out by any method. To seek something is to crave after it. The person who seeks is tenacious. And sorry, I'm using a lot of marriage and dating examples, and that kind of gives you a glimpse to where my mind is. <laughs> but anyways, when we seek after someone, we like, we, when we seek after someone we like with the intention of trying to potentially date or marry that person, what does that look like? For most people, I imagine it looks like schedule or structured time, AKA a date, persistence, patience, having fun together, deep conversations together, amongst many things. And the whole idea here is for those who are married, like John, like Ben, like Will, and so many others, if they didn't seek out their, after their wives, they wouldn't have wives. They wouldn't have the same relationship that they have with them today without seeking. The same idea of seeking applies to our relationship with God. If we want to have a strong relationship with God, we have to seek him out. Just like building a relationship with someone, there are some similarities that universally work in building a relationship with God. But because each of us are unique and created differently, in some ways, seeking will also look a little bit different for each of us. For example, I think most of us can agree that seeking God through prayer is an important and non-negotiable practice to having a close relationship with God. And if any of you disagree, you can see me after church and we can debate it. And for me, see, for me, seeking God can look like going on a hike for a couple of hours and connecting with him through that. For some of you, hiking might not be your vibe. Seeking can look like worshiping and playing an instrument with God, shout out worship team, painting with God, journaling with God, cooking with God, the list of possibilities of seeking and building a relationship with God are endless. So for you, what would it look like, or for you, what would seeking after God look like? And what's so amazing is Jesus tells us that we serve a God that loves and desires to be found. Not all relationships we seek after results in us finding that person the way we want to. But with God, there's this promise. When we seek, we will find. Finally, Jesus encourages us to knock. Jesus again uses his imagery of knocking on the door of the owner's house in Luke 13 that we read earlier. We, we see some knocked and were met with the owner saying, I don't know you. And then he sends them away. But here in Matthew 7, Jesus tells us something different. Knock and the door will be open to you. 
And I don't, I don't think it's by accident that knocking on the door and it being open only comes after we have asked and sought after God. Jesus understood for the owner to open his door, it requires for the owner to know and have a relationship with the person knocking. And I love that Jesus gives us a roadmap to having a relationship with God and making sure the door is open to us. It all begins with asking and seeking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And my third and final point of today is relationship with God is open to everyone. Church, Jesus realized not just how important it is to have a relationship with God, but how beautiful and life-giving it is. As followers of Christ, our connection and relationship to God isn't a seasonal thing. We don't just praise God just in the springtime, in the fall time, winter or summer. We don't just have a relationship with God when things are going well and life is joyful, or when things are going terribly wrong and you have nowhere else to turn. No, we praise God, we praise and have a relationship with God in all seasons of life, summer, spring, fall, and winter, through the joys of life and the hardships of life. And Jesus understood that being with God is fruitful in every season of life. He so deeply wants us to have a relationship with the Father, so much so that he spent his life not only teaching about the kingdom of God, but showing us how to access it by his words and through his actions. So much so that he took our place and was stripped, beaten, spit on, and killed for us. So much so that on the third day he raised from the dead and conquered death. Jesus took on the closed door of the cross for our sake, the ultimate rejection from the Father that we all deserve. He muttered for us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He uttered those words so we might not have to. Because of this, we all now have unlimited access to God the Father and can now call ourselves sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. That is such an amazing and beautiful gift given to us. This was all done and given to us by an amazing Father who wants to have a relationship with you and I. This was all done by a Father that wants to talk to you from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep. This is all done by a father that knows every single head on your head, that knew you at your best and at your worst, and still loves you with everything he has. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God is so patient and merciful with us. He loves us more than we can ever know. Let us not abuse God's mercy and grace and take his love for granted. Let us not go on another day neglecting the most important relationship and most beautiful relationship we will ever have. Family, let us choose to seek God with all our hearts and rejoice in knowing that one day when we knock at the door, it will be open to us and we'll get to experience eternal life together with God forever. To God be the glory. Thank you. Before we leave, I have two practices. The first practice is be consistent and intentional with your time with God. Set aside time in your day for you to commune with the living God. 
And my second and final practice is find what helps you connect with God. Like I said earlier, connecting with God may look different for you than it would for someone else. Take time this week to find out what it is that, in, that you enjoy and helps you feel connected with God. Thank you, guys.